Hello, I'm Carol Valley. And I'm Kate Valley. And this is Friday Night at Blockbuster, the podcast about our favorite movies from the 2000s. We're back. We hope everyone had a happy and fun holidays. Hopefully everybody's happy that we're back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we took took a week off and uh, we're, we're gearing up and ready to go. We've got a, a slate of movies that we're going to be talking about and, you know, we're, we're ready to get back into it. But before we get into the movie this week, looking forward, 2024, a new year, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to this year in terms of movies? Like what movies are you looking forward to? What are you excited to see? And do you set any sort of movie goals at the beginning of the year? So I don't necessarily set goals. I think every year I try to do a little bit better or I end up watching more movies than I did last year. So last year I watched 128, which isn't that's bad. Like, that's like a perfectly <laughs> respectable, regular human being number. Because I was looking. That's like two and a half a week. Yeah. So I was looking at my like distribution and most weeks I watched one, maybe two. And then some weeks based off of challenges that we had, I ended up watching a few more. So like, I think maybe 135, like up it a little bit. I'll be happy with that. I did some foreign languages last year, so keep maybe that trend of a few more. A few more? A few more and stuff, so that's not too bad. Ones I'm looking forward to, I am looking forward to Gladiator 2. Okay. Because we were big Gladiator people, so I'm just interested to see what they do. <laughs> I didn't think a second one was really needed, so we'll see where that goes. Um, I'm still really interested on this Argyle one. That's coming out soon, I think, too, right? Like, I that's think it's, a couple weeks. Yeah, I think it's coming out soon. Partly because when it first came out, nobody understood where the backstory came from. There's kind of maybe a hidden author on it all. And so I'm just kind of excited to see where that goes. And then at the end of the year, Wicked, and I love Wicked the theater production, Wicked's coming out. But I've now just looked and it's a part one. And so I was quite literally just sitting here thinking... Why? Why a part one? Just do the whole movie. <laughs> like, we don't need to split it up. It's not Kill Bill is what you're saying. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, it doesn't need to be split. I know exactly where they will split it, and it's going to be where the intermission is right. in the show. Right. So, like, you could have just... It would be fine. <laughs> so, but what about you? Movie goals, movies you're excited for? Uh, well, so things I'm excited for... I The first one may be a little bit of a cheat, but the first one's Dune Part 2. Okay. Uh, I really, really liked the first half. And the second one was supposed to come out in 2023, but then all the strikes pushed to 2024. So, you know, definitely looking forward to that Denny Villeneuve movie. Everything he's done, I've basically loved. So, again, I, uh, high hopes and, you know, high expectations that I'm going to love Dune 2. The other one um, is Nosferatu by David Edgars. Sure. Just, this guy has done nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong his entire career. Loved all of his movies. This one does have uh, Lily Rose Depp in it, which I've, oh, okay. I've never really been that convinced by her, but I'm convinced by him. So, like, I'm I'm all good. Like, let's let's go down. That, that's going to be a Christmas Day release. So I'm going to 
Oh boy. I'm going to let that one simmer in the background and then maybe try and get that one to be the, the family Christmas movie. <laughs> Cause you know, nothing screams Christmas like Nosferatu. And then um, Bong Joon-ho is hopefully back this year with his new movie starring Robert Pattinson. It's going to be, I think it's called Mickey 7 or uh, it might be Mickey 17. Mickey 17? Mickey 17. I think the book is Mickey 7 and I think they've added a few more characters. Oh, okay. Um, Again, like Bong Joon-ho, an absolute master. Last movie was Parasite. So like, you know, that is an opening night, first in line I'm there already, you know, if I could prepay for the ticket now, I <laughs> you would, would do it. I okay. would. So yeah, those, those three are definitely at the top of my list. Every year there's going to be other things, you know, a trailer will show up and I'll be like, oh shit, like that looks great. But, but sitting here now, those three movies, I'm like, mark those on the calendar right now. And then in terms of goals, I don't set movie goals in the way that I do with like books or something like that. Mostly because... I think if I did set a goal, you would just far exceed it anyways. Well, that's, that's all I would do. <laughs> like I would get just way too competitive with it. Um, I do genuinely try and watch more than the year before, which some years that's easier than others. I was looking back on, on some of my logs and diaries and the, the 2022 log. So that would have been 2020 or sorry, not 2022, 2020 yeah. was the first full year that I was on Letterboxd and it was the first year of the pandemic and the lockdown. Oh yes, you watched a ton that year, didn't you? <laughs> the numbers got a little outrageous. That, that that one peaked in over I think 450 movies in, in the year. So like me trying to beat those numbers is always going to be impossible. Yeah. Um this year I got over 300. I'll probably try and do that again. Okay. Um you know you said that you watched two and a half a week. I ended up watching nearly seven. Yeah. So I'm on nearly one a night. I have watched four movies this weekend oh, that Jesus. we're recording. So, you know. For a guy who watches six movies in a week and reads a book a week, I don't know where you have the time, but. No, I don't have children. Is, <laughs> That's true. Is the answer to that question. <laughs> I have nobody who relies on me whatsoever. There's pros and there's cons to that you know, lifestyle, but, uh, yeah, not having a child is a huge time saver. So <laughs> we can, we can jump into the movie. And so this week we are going back to February 22nd, 2008 to talk about the movie, Michael Clayton. And for you, this was a first watch. I think before we really get into this movie here, we, we have sat down over the last week or two and kind of come up with lists or ideas of, you know, these are the movies that we'd like to do going forward. Um, I think a, a theme that was obviously in the first year of the show will continue into this year. Or it's first watches for first me. First watches for you. <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be very hard to get first watches for me going forward. We kind of exhausted my first watches. Well, we kind of figured out a lot of your first watches will be animated movies. Yeah, which I'm And just, like you're... Yeah have done the veto card for a lot of those yeah. and been like, we're just not going to do it. So yeah, yeah. Well, I think we've exhausted animation for a little while. We can maybe come back to it later, but yeah. Um, so this was the first watch for you. Yeah. And so, you know, the first question I'm going to have for you most weeks now is just, what did you think of Michael Clayton? How did you feel on your first time through? So going into this one, I don't know how I missed it, kind of when it first came out or even since it's come out. 
Because it does kind of seem like a Kate movie in a way. It scratches, I think, a lot of your interests. And stuff. And so I kind of don't know how I missed it. And it's really just in the past little bit before Tom Wilkinson passed away. It had kind of started to come up on TikTok and Instagram and things like that. And so when we were trying to pick movies, I was like, oh, can we do this one then? Like, And I think I took a look at your letterbox and you seemed to enjoy it a little bit. So I was like... Perfect. Spoiler alert. I love this movie. (laughs) I was like, perfect. Kieran will do it. Yeah. And stuff. And I find doing movies for the podcast now, I definitely sit down and will watch them. If it's not for the podcast, it might kind of get pushed to the back burner every time. But I really enjoyed it. I liked how it was presented, I guess is the best way. So giving us, um, I don't know how to describe the scene with the bombing. Well, so like the climax, us, I guess. Yeah, it kind of gives us the end of the movie yeah. at the beginning, but you don't realize it's the end of the movie yet. And stuff. And so giving us that, and then very quickly being four days later, and it's yeah. like, oh, we're going to see how we get there. And I really enjoy that kind of storytelling because I then sit there being like, well, is that a clue for why this happened later? Or, oh, maybe this is why this was going on and things like that. So I end up spending the whole movie trying to piece together the story or piece together the puzzle and so yeah i really enjoyed it really really enjoyed it so good first episode for uh, me <laughs> i i'm like i'm glad that you sort of have highlighted how this movie opens because i always think it's a bit of a tricky it's a it's a tricky structure to pull off in a movie where the movie opens with kind of the ending of the movie and then it's like oh, actually the story is three days later or one week or a month or whatever it is. Like we're going to go back in time and we're going to walk you back to this moment. And sometimes I feel like it can be a little bit of a cop out to sort of be like, oh, you're giving me the climax up front because the rest of the movie is probably not that interesting. And so you're trying to hook me by giving me the most interesting part of your story in the first five minutes. And then I'm going to have to watch this boring movie to get back to that. Um, or, or, you know, they reveal like, you know, so-and-so dies in in a moment and it's like, oh, we're going to find out how they get there. And it's like, sometimes, a lot of the times it doesn't work in Michael Clayton. It fucking works. Oh, it was so good. It works. It's so good. And I think it's, I think it's, it works in the sense that like, it just immediately gives you so many questions to answer. And then because it's like an intelligent movie and it's a confident movie, it's sort of like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, you think that's the most interesting part of the movie? I'm going to show you, like, ten more things yeah. that are way more interesting to the point where by the time we get back to that, you'll sort of be like, oh, yeah, that. Yeah. It was after the first scene and they cut back to the three days earlier, I was sitting there being like, okay, but why did he stop driving? And what was the thing with the horses? And who blew up his car? And yeah. why did they do this? And, like... Okay, so what does he do next and stuff? And then they cut back and it's like, oh, okay, so we're going to get there. And even that, by the end of the movie, after we've been walked back to that moment again, there were still questions when the credits came. And I was like, but why the horses? (laughs) And so it was only afterwards, because me and mom watched together, she then found the reason for the horses and the moment because of the horses from the book book and things like that. And then it was, oh, okay, that makes sense now. Like... So even after the movie, things were still falling into place for yeah, me. So, yeah. so where where do you want to start with this first first episode of the year? Where where should we start? 
I think we see leave George Clooney for a little bit. You want to leave George for a little yeah, bit? Yeah, okay. leave George. Do so we... should we start with Tom? I think we start with Tom. Okay, so one of the big reasons why we're doing Michael Clayton is, unfortunately, Tom Wilkinson has just recently passed away. One of the best, one yeah. of our favorites, and I think this might be his best movie. Like, this might be his best role in a movie. He was phenomenal. Yeah. Like, yeah. phenomenal. Some of the scenes where he's able to switch from, like, crazy manic to, oh, no, I'm still a lawyer, and oh, yeah. I know all of this stuff, were incredible. Yeah. Like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, I... After he passed and people were sharing scenes, I can see why a lot of people would have shared scenes from this movie. Yeah. Because, like, just incredible. So... Like, it is, it is one of those things where when you have the type of career that he has had and you've been in so many things and like, you know, he's a bit of a character actor in terms of like, he might be the third or fourth build in a lot of movies. And so he just sort of pops up for a few scenes here or there. It can be hard to sort of narrow down into sort of like, this was the best that he ever did because people have their favorites. They'll have, you know, I grew up on this movie. I grew up on yeah. that movie. I think it's like pretty unanimous when anyone watches this movie that he is like an absolute rock star in this. And you're just like this role, this time, his performance, like, holy Christ, this is good. <laughs> and I think sometimes even when I was watching it and maybe it's because he recently passed, I don't know, but I did watch him maybe a little bit more right. in some of the scenes. I think because for me, Clooney has played this role a lot in kind of my mind. Okay. Um, or like similar kind of, Suave guy kind of manipulates fixer type. Because I don't have as many Tom Wilkinson narratives or characters in my head, I was just like, oh, so what are you going to do next? So, like, I was always kind of drawn to him, so. Just sort of to pull up his filmography here, like, you know, he was in, he was Falconian in Batman Begins, like, great role, good early villain for the the Batman movies. Um, you know, he was in Rush Hour one of my favorites loved oh, him. Yeah. In, loved him in Rush Hour. Uh, you know, he shows up in you know Shakespeare in Love. He shows up in Internal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Turns up in The Patriot, where he plays uh, Cornwallis. He plays. He doesn't play the big bad in, in The Patriot, but he plays sort of the second or third bad bad character in that. He he shows up in the bedroom, where he's kind of the he's kind of the lead of that movie, and that's like an early Todd Field. I know you just watched Tar. Yep. I'm going to try and get you to watch some more Todd Field movies. <laughs> um, the big one that like I kind of grew up with was kind of always on in the house or would be around in the house was the full Monty. Yeah. Um, where he, he's kind of, again, like he's playing like the third lead. Um, and the character that he plays in that is kind of like the stuffy former manager guy who, you know, learns to cut a rug uh, and, and strip. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, again, like, he's just so good at these characters. And it's similar to Arthur in this, where as soon as you meet him, your your heart immediately goes out to him. Like, he's obviously dealing with some mental health stuff. He's dealing with this case that is... All-consuming. Like, all-consuming has kind yeah. of broken him. But there is always that little thing in the back, like you were saying, where when and if he needs to turn on the lawyer... He can. He can. Yeah. And, like, he'll just... He just, you know... We hear from a lot of characters in, in the movie, like, oh, he's a killer. Like, he's a great lawyer, great lawyer, great lawyer. And then he, he's like, oh, I'll show you. I'll show you. And, like, the scene with the baguettes, 
in, oh, in the alleyway. Yeah, I made is, note of that one. <laughs> that's the best scene of the movie. And it's the whole scene, like you're saying, he's so manic. He's walking around the streets of New York with a bag of like 30 baguettes. And, you know, he probably hasn't been home in a while. He is off just wandering in his own little world, own little universe when Clooney finds him and tracks him down. And Clooney's kind of laying into him. Yeah. Sort of saying like, you know, you need to do this. You need to do that. Like, why'd you run? We got to get yeah. you in. Like, All these sort of gotta things. Got to get you help. And... and the whole time he's just talking about bread. Yeah. And then as soon as Clooney actually threatens him with like, if you don't do this, we're going to do that. Then he's just like, fuck off. Yeah. Fuck off. And the, and the immediately turns it on and is like, you think you've got me? You have yeah. shit. If you had left, if we had stayed where we were in yeah. Milwaukee or something, yeah. you would have had a fighting chance to get what you want done to me right now. But, we but because we left yeah. and we're here now, not a chance. Like, I know. And so... And I, I, I love, too, that it's like a little bit of a callback to an earlier scene with Clooney and his bosses. Yes, I was just thinking that one. Where they're, where they're <laughs> like, well, could we not just have him committed to an institution somewhere? And like who, like, you know, we have 600 lawyers in this firm. Like what lawyer knows the most about this type of stuff? And he's like, well, Arthur is. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'll show you how much I know. And he's like breaking down laws for states. And you're just like, oh my God. Like this guy has it together. When he needs to have it together, yeah. he has it together. And so when he is murdered, I was sitting there being like, oh my God, no. Like, come on. I kind of, for a little bit, I didn't think he would get out unscathed, but I did think maybe Clooney will fix this and kind of send him back to the middle of America with a name change and be like, just live your life quietly now over here it's, and stuff. Like, don't draw too much attention to you. It's unfortunately the fate of a supporting character. He was he was not getting out of this alive. <laughs> poor, poor Arthur was like... Uh, he might have been a shark, but he was swimming with sharks as well. Yeah, and, so. uh, and yeah, they, they took a bite. So yeah, I think it's like, you know, if this is part of his very long legacy and it definitely will be like, this is a hell of a performance, a oh hell God, of a yeah. role. And for anyone who's, you know, looking for something with Tom Wilkinson in it, like you could do a lot worse. Oh than yeah. Michael Highly Clayton. recommend this yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. So I've got. Tony Gilroy or George Clooney. So who do you who do you want to talk about? Let's do Tony. So I think Tony Gilroy is like one of the best current screenwriters working right now. Like the stuff that he churns out, I just think is like at such a high, high level. And the reason I like that and watching Michael Clayton again sort of reminded me because, you know, it's been, I think, a year or two since he really had anything come out is that he just makes adult entertainment like this is a movie for adults and not in the sense that there's a lot of sex or nudity or violence or anything like that but it is like this is going to be complex the characters are not going to be one-dimensional and like there's going to be some real stakes and I'm, I'm dealing with real things in the world and sort of like pay attention or like get lost you know, like I, I'm yeah. not, I'm not gonna slowly walk you through this story. Like things are going to move. That's one of the things I love about the flashback, where it's like four days. It's like a lot of happens in four days. Oh yeah. So, like the the movie doesn't slow down. No. Ever. Once they cut back and they go through the days, I kept trying to be like, okay, is this day one or is this day two? And like tried to keep track of the days. Yeah. Yeah. 
this this moves quick. So yeah. My question for Tony Gilroy though, when I search him online, it says that he has a connection to because I was like, oh, have I seen any of his stuff before? And it he has a connection to the Born Ultimatum and things like that. But I can't seem to see that he wrote them or directed them. I think he's the writer. He's the writer. Like Okay, they, it's not coming up as the writer. There, there was probably multiple writers on those movies. Oh, okay. Because those are like big franchise things. There's probably, yeah. you know, so-and-so started the story, then so-and-so took over and, you know, on down the line. And like Tony Gilroy does have a history where he either, he'll start the project and then another screenwriter will come in and like finish uh, things off. Okay. Or he'll be the one who's who's brought in to sort of be like, we just need a little bit of help with this. And he'll sort of polish off. I know, I can't remember what the order of events on Rogue One was. I, I can't remember if he started it and another person came in. Once he was done, another person came in and finished. Or if he was the one who came in and finished. Okay, yeah, because... He, he has like he has a history of that as well. Okay, yeah, because yeah. for Rogue One and like the Bourne series, it says like screenplay... Yeah. Is what he's credited as. Because yeah. I was trying to figure out if I had seen any of his stuff. And then I got really confused on what stuff he had actually been a part of. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like, the, the big thing that people will probably have heard of or know or seen or anything like that most recently was Andor. So, he created Andor. Um, you know, that was... He must have he must have started as the screenwriter on Rogue One. Because I think it was the whole thing is that he created that character. Oh, uh, okay. Um, and sort of fleshed that character out. And so, the TV show... Andor, which came out a, a year ago, I believe. Yeah, maybe. Um, Last year. Like, I would argue that that is the best thing Star Wars has done since 81, oh, 82. Really? Like, you know, since The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, okay. That is the best Star Wars That story. might be a bold statement to nah, put out there. I don't there. think it's that bold. <laughs> I don't think it's that bold. There's a lot of bad Star Wars out there. Um, I, I was blown away by Andor. I was kind of... After the the sequel trilogy finished, and then you know, there I I kind of enjoyed the first season of Mandalorian. Didn't really enjoy season two. I watched the first episode of the um, Obi Wan Kenobi series. Didn't like it. Didn't finish it. I was kind of out on Star Wars. Okay. And then I just heard Tony Gilroy Andor, and I was sort of like, well, I I really like Tony Gilroy. I'll check out this for him. And within five minutes i was like oh okay i'm i'm in i'm in because like this is for adults this is a star wars show for 35 year olds 40 year olds 50 year olds you know what i mean like it's it's not catering to teenagers and that's the type of stuff that he makes and that's the type of stuff that i want to watch (laughs) i'm so tired of movies being like you know, kind of spoon spoon feeding you. And yeah, making, like, like like we got to make this for the young group and, and make it easy. Like, oh, and, like, yeah, who cares about the young group? <laughs> I certainly don't. So like, I just love. I I I'm fully in on him. I'll watch anything that he makes. He 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 did do the Born Legacy, which was not very good. But you know, we, we all have our slip ups here and there. <laughs> Sometimes you have to go down to get back up exactly. again. Like exactly exactly. <laughs> Something's got to be the worst on the pile. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I just think like this was his debut movie uh, as a director, I should say. Like he'd, he'd obviously written other movies before. And there is a there is a little part of me watching it again the other night where I was like, oh, he saved the best for himself. Like, oh, yeah, <laughs> he is this, you know, career of writing movies. But the best movie that he'd probably written to that point, he's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm holding on to that one. 
And it's like, yeah, this thing rips. Like, this is a thriller that's two hours long. And like we're saying, like, it it doesn't slow down at all, ever. No. No, there's no slow parts. Even when George Clooney is kind of interacting with his son, and you think that might be, like, that kind of lull moment to kind of be like, oh, he's a family guy. He is and he isn't. Like, yeah. he's not the warmest dad in the bunch <laughs> and stuff. And inevitably, it's always him and his son going out looking for Tom Wilkinson. Yeah, like. exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah, even <laughs> even dad time with his kid is still work time. Like, yeah. he doesn't really turn off. No. Speaking of George, though. So you... Man of the hour. <laughs> well, you've already... You've just said that you think he's played this role a lot. And I, I think I can understand where you're coming from in terms of, like... He's playing a fixer in a law firm, in a big law firm. And so, like, he does walk around all movie in, like, good-looking suits, you know, put together, obviously really handsome guy. He's kind of the coolest guy when he walks into a room. Yeah. So, like, that is definitely in George Clooney's wheelhouse. He can do that in his sleep. I think this might be the best performance of his career. Really? In terms of, like, playing a character. Okay. So I think, like, the other two things that I sort of had in my head were the Oceans movies, of course, which, you know, we're both a yeah. huge fans of. And this other movie that he did in the 90s called Out of Sight, which, again, is another Soderbergh movie. So, like, him and Soderbergh have a thing together. They obviously get each other. But in both of those roles and, like, in the multiple Oceans movies, there's, like, so much charm. Yeah. He just charms the pants off of whoever he's hanging out with. And, like, that is clearly, like, in George's toolkit. Like, he, you know, he's a charming, charming person. There's very little charm to Michael Clayton. Like, that, he yeah. does not rely on that at all in this movie. Yeah, I think for me, there is a little bit. Like, he's kind of charming other guys in a way like he never seems to use it on a girl okay um but him kind of going to like the other cops in milwaukee like i'm thinking of that scene and he's gone and met tilda swinton and comes back and it's the cop from the cop like the jail or whatever who he's now paid to watch the guy and he's kind of there being like right right well like if you're ever in new york and like you want seats to a game or want seats to theater like just you know give me a call and so, like, for me, like, that would be the charm. I can see how right? you would pick up on that. Maybe I wouldn't. I, I so, just, like, for me, yeah. the charm is him using the connections. Right. That he has to get things that he wants. Yeah. Like, so. he, he's still, like, Michael Clayton is still, like, an operator. Yeah. Like, he, he, you know, he can identify what he needs to do in a certain situation to get what he ultimately needs. And so, you know, like. He goes to his brother, who's a police officer in New York, to get the tag or something yeah. to, to get into the crime scene. Or like you're saying with the, the cop in Milwaukee, like obviously there's some relationship there. There's yeah. some history where this cop is willing to do this favor because he knows Michael is going to you know pay him back tenfold or whatever. I just think that the, the, the element of the whole restaurant thing is just like an interesting ripple to this character where it's like. I, I have seen, and I'm sure you've seen, and I'm sure people listening have seen shows and movies where the fixer is like, you know, always on the ball and always knows the yeah. angle. And, you know, he is the smoothest guy, coolest guy, whatever, coming into a scene and just, you know, knows how to make it go, uh, all the problems go away or whatever. 
but by giving George Clooney's character this failed restaurant where it's not, it's not only that it's failed, but it's like cratered. Yeah. And it is like cratered his life. <laughs> and then you get the little thing about he used to have a gambling addiction. And you're sort of like, oh, this guy is like not as put together yeah. as he obviously presents to the world. And so like just letting Clooney sort of play with all these little breadcrumbs. I like I'm constantly blown away by him in this movie. Oh, yeah. I think for me, the failed restaurant, it took me a little bit. I got a little confused with the restaurant story because at first I was like, oh, this is clearly the brother's restaurant who has the drinking problem and has failed at this and has kind of taken off. And Clooney being the fixer and the brother is coming in to fix it and sell everything, try and get as much money as they can for everything. And then at one point I was like, oh, no, this is Clooney's restaurant. And this was his way out and okay. Yeah. And then at the end when I'm like, oh no, it was both of their restaurants. So I was like, the restaurant story, I just needed like a little fine tuning for me <laughs> just to like make it a little clear that it was clearly a joint venture for the two of them. I guess to me, the brother maybe was the chef of it and Clooney was going to be kind of the money and the back yeah, kind I think, of behind the scenes dude. Yeah, I think Tim was going to be like the face because yeah. Clooney obviously had this law thing that he's doing on this yeah. whatever so like for me the charm of him and doing that is him trying to help his brother out and so like i would say they probably got a good spot in town because Clooney's Clooney. yeah <laughs> they probably got expedited permits and liquor license and all that kind of stuff once again because he knows people yeah and so i would say other people who maybe work years to get their own restaurant i would say these two probably put it together in four months. So, Which might have been the problem because when the movie opens, like he is auctioning off everything in yeah. that restaurant and like coming up with no money. Yeah. The and mixing bowls for $90. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. And I, I just, I, I really like that whole angle because it does then put him in a position for the entire movie of who's he going to look after. Yeah. Cause he's in an issue and Arthur's in an issue and the law firm's in an issue and he might not be able to fix all of them. And so which ones does he decide to fix? And like that kind of carries the whole story throughout. And you're just like, you're watching this guy and he plays him. I think he plays Mike Clayton with enough insight or whatever that you're sitting there being sort of like, okay, I I think I know who this guy is. I think I, yeah. you know, I can see into his inner thoughts and his inner life. And you've got the scenes with the kids. So you kind of pick up enough puzzle pieces, but he plays him with enough sort of, distance where you're like i actually don't know where he's gonna go like i i don't know where his loyalties actually lie oh for me his loyalty is always laid with himself with himself okay (laughs) if it wasn't in his best interest and kind of wouldn't benefit him he wasn't gonna do anything so like for me having his son run around the house at the beginning of the movie trying to get the cards and being like oh i can't eat breakfast because dad's downstairs and clearly he's excited to see him And he's driving him to school. And his son is so passionate about Conquer and... Realm of Conquer? Realm of Conquer. Yeah, the book. And stuff. And he's so passionate about that. And George Clooney's there being like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah. Like, because he doesn't care. It's not going to benefit him in his life. And I think only at the end, when he sees it in Arthur's place, and it's highlighted and noted, then he's kind of like, oh, maybe this is important. And sure enough, then a piece of paper falls out and it's like, well, this was definitely important. Yeah, like... yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, bro, you're being hard on Clooney here. 
You're really coming for like, him. Like I said, he just wasn't the most warm and fuzzy dad. I no, kind no. Of he's, like... Yeah, he's definitely not. He's definitely not. <laughs> but I think having been a criminal lawyer, like they did a very quick recap of kind yeah. of his whole life. Yeah. And I tried to listen and take note of that because he was an ADA for somebody and then a criminal lawyer and all of this stuff. And now he's worked for this firm for, he's worked for this firm for 17 years, but he's not made partner yet. Yeah. And he only is apparently supposed to be doing wills and trusts. And I was like, well, that's a lie. So (laughs) it's a, it's a really good scene when they do that. Cause you, you are like the mystery of then Michael Clayton is sort of like, Oh wait, but who is he? Like, you know, like none of the characters really, or I shouldn't say that the characters outside of the law firm are all like, who is this guy? And why is he here to fix the problem? And what does he actually do? And what does he actually do? But everyone in the law firm is like, no, Michael's got it. Like Michael's good. Don't worry about it. And you're just sort of like, there's that disconnect then of sort of like, but wait, like who is Michael Clayton? Like I did say before you came home and watched the movie, I was like, for the type of movie that it is, Michael Clayton is kind of a boring title. Yeah, it is. Um, but at the same time, Michael Clayton's like a really interesting character. So I can understand why they called it Michael Clayton. But yeah, it's it's kind of for, for the type of movie that it ultimately turns out to be, uh, Michael Clayton doesn't really sort of give anything away. No, uh, my big my question at one point was in the 17 years, why wasn't he made partner? Probably because like, he couldn't be. Oh, okay. Because you can't have a partner doing what, what he's he doing because that's the, fair then he's actually representing the firm you know what i mean like he's yeah out, he's out there bribing police officers <laughs> so like, that's I, true. I don't think you can have a name partner of a huge law firm in new york being like wait why is there a name partner here giving this officer money like <laughs> that's true that seems weird whereas if it's just this you know no name guy who's kind of you know doing wills and trusts yeah i was gonna say works in the basement he actually works in a corner office like <laughs> a really nice office but yeah like that makes a little i think a little bit more sense where it's sort of like okay like there's plausible deniability about what michael clayton's actually out there doing for us yeah so i will say his big redeeming scene at the end yeah was just like the cherry on top of the movie for me like it was so good (laughs) but but this is what i mean like so you can i'm gonna put the question to you (laughs) when i said that like Ultimately, you don't know where his loyalties lie. You don't know where he sort of is going to come down on all of these issues. When that turn happens at the end of the movie, yeah, I think that's a pretty good twist. It's a pretty good surprise to finish the movie off because you are thinking like, yeah, he's just in it for the money. He just wants the money. And if they give him enough money, he will go away. Yeah. I think for me, because he had just signed that three-year contract, like, yes, it wasn't nearly as much money as... Um, Swinton was going to give him. Yeah. But he also had a non-disclosure and all these other probably things. So yeah, he could have the money, but he couldn't do anything. And I feel like he's kind of the guy who always wants to work and like would need to have some type of a job Go on, yeah. to kind of get him through the day. Yeah, like yeah, I don't give, feel give like he's... Purpose. I don't feel like he's a guy with hobbies. No. No. <laughs> well, we know he doesn't read books. So that's, that's, out, that's out the window. So like... I feel like he's the guy that needs to kind of work. And, like, maybe he has a bit of loyalty to his boss, uh, Marty. I think he, I think he definitely does. I think and stuff, because I would say Marty's probably gotten him out of yeah. some situations. Yeah. So. I think there, there's enough sort of, I think they outright say it at one or two points, but I think there's enough implied 
where it's like Michael Clayton's had some dark times yeah. and Marty has been there to help him out. So I think, yes, like there is definitely some loyalty to Marty. Um, I don't think there's any loyalty to like Marty's number two guy. Like, oh, the Barry guy? Yeah. Think, oh, no, he hates everybody him. Everybody hates him. Um, but like, you know, he's probably a good lawyer or whatever. But yeah, I just think like that that ending scene with Tilda Swinton, when he is going on and on and on about the money, I think the movie has set you up in a good enough way to sort of be like, yeah, if she just says yes, he will go away. Yeah. And then when she does and he does the twist on her, I think the movie has earned it. The movie has done a good enough job to be like, yeah, fuck you. Lady. Yeah, that's true. And I guess like for me as well. He was doing that. I saw him doing that to help his brother out. So like the cop mm. brother. Because yeah. like that has now made yeah. that brother's career. He's good like, to go. Yeah, he's fine. He, I think he's a detective or something. Yeah. Like he's set now. Because every time they're talked about and this, the brother's talked about in the police world, it'll always be like, oh, big he bust. was he was the guy got that got the U North bust yeah. and yeah, stuff. Big so, bust. Yeah. My my question with the with the NDA and the, the three year contract, like yeah, technically people think he's been murdered. So like, yeah. <laughs> do you think that that contract is still valid? Valid? Maybe yeah. it's null and void by that point. Like, you, like uh, that's I think one of the interesting things about the end of the movie is you're sort of like, but wait, like, what actually is his standing now? Yeah, that's true. And I, I think that's like one of the parts I love about the the taxi scene where it's sort of like maybe nothing has changed for him. And like, yeah. maybe he will just go back to work tomorrow on another case or maybe everything's changed. Like we don't actually really know. I was thinking about it when we were watching and the last scene happens and he gets into the cab. I was sitting there being like, the director clearly just looked at him and was like, okay, Clooney, we're going to drive around in the cab. Just like make faces. Like movie star. He's a movie star. <laughs> I'm going to end the movie with like five minutes on your face. Like don't say anything. Don't have any, Big, big reactions, but just have small ones being like, oh, oh, maybe this. Oh, oh, like I wonder and stuff. Like, So Tilda Swinton, sort of the last big character of the movie. Yeah. That Tilda we kind Swinton, of like are really invested. That we're with. really invested. Yeah. That we that we kind of get to know and, and learn a little bit about. This was her Oscar win. So she won for this role. Okay. And I like, I'm a big Tilda Swinton fan. I think there's quite literally nothing she can't do. And I, I sort of will buy her in any movie but this is like she's a fucking ice queen in this like she is so frosty she hires hitmen within like five minutes after she finds out what the problem is she's like oh, i'm gonna hire this guy to yeah. get murdered like that's how quickly she's sort of like i'm wiping my hands of this so the thing i was trying to figure out clearly her boss don don jeffers don Je jeffries jeffries or i something? think it is yeah um, knew about the problem yeah. because he had signed the paper, the, the paperwork, the memo, yeah, the memo, and things like that. So, like, he knew when he moved up to the board level and gave her this job, like he was giving her a dumpster fire. Like, well, yeah, I think, but I think the whole point was because they thought they'd kept this memo secret enough that, that nobody like, would never know that they and, would never know, and sort of like, okay, we're gonna have to pay some money, but like, we're not gonna have to pay as much. Okay, you know what I mean? I think it was kind of a like the win for them would be not hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and maybe billions of dollars. You know what I mean? Like that's the win. Yeah. They always, I think they always knew they're going to have to pay some money. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of was like, well, he's kind of set her up for a bit of a losing battle. 
But yeah, no, I thought she did a pretty good job. The biggest thing for me, I'm just so used to her with blonde hair. Oh, right. Yeah. And so her and the dark hair just took me so long to like get used to her almost. <laughs> I like, again, I just like, she is definitely the antagonist of the movie. Yeah. She's the bad guy sort of in all this, or you could maybe even say the. You North of, really, you but North, she's kind of the face of it. She's the face so. of it. Um, but again, I just love that like. Gilroy is sort of like, yeah, she's the bad guy, but I'm going to show you scenes where maybe you might have a little bit of sympathy for her. Like maybe there's, you know, a little way into understanding who she is. And like all the scenes where she's just standing in front of a mirror practicing speeches. Yeah. Like, yes, that goes to show you how much of her job and how much of her role in the company is like performative. And she's just like rehearsing and trying to find the best line to sort of you know, not show your hand in this way or that way. Yeah. But again, it, it, it also just shows you a character and a person who's like, she's super insecure. Oh yeah. About her standing and her place in this. And she's like, she wants to do a good job. And in her eyes, a good job is maybe hiring hitmen to take out Arthur. <laughs> Ma- making the problems go away. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Like that is a solution in her world. Yeah. Um, And I, I just think like, I think she's wonderful. Like, I think she's absolutely wonderful. I think, for me, the scene that kind of really sticks out, she doesn't actually talk at all, really, is after the twist at the very end and Clooney is walking away. And she just has, like, I think a look on her being like, oh, God, like, we're done. Like, we're over. And she just crumbles. She literally collapses <laughs> to the floor. Yeah. She crumbles. Yeah. And the Don Jeffers guy comes out and was like, but, like, what's the problem? Yeah. And stuff. And I was just like, oh, you're so out of the loop now. Like, well, she knows. Yeah what's happened and what's going to happen now. And she can see those steps ahead. I was like, dude, you are done for. Like, well, that, Cause that's the thing. Like in, there's a few times in the movie where people are sort of like, should we bring Dawn in on this? And she's always like, no, no, no. Dawn's too busy. I got this. Yeah. And so like, she has shielded him from a lot, but in that moment, she knows like, we're all fucked. Yeah. Like we are all in a lot of trouble here. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I think like Till Swinton's obviously one of the best, like, we don't necessarily need to go into too much about it. But yeah, I just find that like her scenes in this, she gets like four or five scenes, mostly with Clooney. Yeah. And she's like just really impactful. Yeah, like she's you either remember with Clooney her scenes. Or the hitman. Or the hitman. Yeah. <laughs> Again, like I kind of forgot that she hires them like straight away. She finds out what the problem is with with Tom Wilkinson's character. She watches the video one time yeah. and goes back to her room and hires Hitman. <laughs> I think it took me a little bit to realize who she was talking to on yeah. the phone. Yeah. Um, because that scene is so good when she has the briefcase and everybody's worrying about the briefcase and she finds the memorandum or the paperwork, whatever yeah. it is. And she's there with a plastic glove or a plastic bag on her hand because she doesn't want her prints on this. And I was just like... Oh, you clever. Like, you are a clever woman. She's a smart lady. She's a smart lady. (laughs) She, but like, that's what I think I love about the character is that like, she is highly intelligent. Oh, yeah. Highly, highly intelligent. But because she's insecure about maybe her abilities or or maybe she's new in the role. I don't know what it is. But like, that's where you get that sort of those gaps in this character where you're like, oh, that's interesting. That's definitely interesting. I'm glad they like explored that. So we've talked about the baguette scene. Is there any other scenes that sort of stick out to you in the movie? Really the twist at the end. Um, that one definitely sticks out. And then 
any of the scenes with Clooney and his Timmy brother, the alcoholic mm, okay. brother. Yeah. Because I could just kind of see him like thinking, if I get too close to him again, he's just going to fuck me over again and we'll be back in debt again. And so at the end of the movie, when Timmy's the guy who comes and picks him up and drives him home, I'm just kind of like, because you guys are brothers. Like, <laughs> so. They were always going to get back together. Yeah. They were always going to figure a way out. Yeah. <laughs> I like just going back to Tom Wilkinson, I love. The scenes where like he's on the phone with Anna, the young woman. Oh yeah. And we should say like Anna's played by Merritt Weaver, who's been in like a lot of really great stuff over the years. But yeah, there's there's the one scene where he's calling her, and again, like he does that thing of like, he's manic and he's like, like this guy's in trouble. Like there's something yeah. wrong here. Like you know he needs some help. But then when she kind of questions something or whatever, you're like, oh he's like he's got a plan. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. And like, it might not make sense to other people, but it definitely makes sense to him. And like, ultimately it was a good plan. Like we figured that out at the end of the movie. <laughs> like, well, Arthur was really on the ball here. But yeah, like I've just, I'm always blown away by Tom Wilkinson in this movie. And like, I've seen it, I think three or four times now. Yeah. Tom Wilkinson on the phone with the son as well. Oh yeah. When they're talking about the oh, book. Yeah. Because like, you can just see him a broken, broken man. Yeah. yeah. And this little boy kind of being like, no, it'll all be okay. Because, like, in my book, this is what happens. And and we were trying to figure out how the two of them ended up on a phone call together. And so I was like, oh, I bet it's just... The phone went off the, in the room. The son yeah. called his dad. Yeah. Um, and... And Arthur answered. And Arthur answered. Yeah. And from the sounds of it, Arthur and him have had a friendship and, like, our friends and stuff. So I was like, the little boy probably doesn't know Arthur and... Yeah, like, yeah, maybe could talk to him on the phone a little bit. So. Oh, you mean like Arthur and Michael are friends? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think th there's definitely enough sort of information given to us that Arthur has done this before. This has happened yeah. before. And Michael's been there to clean up the mess. And I think, again, like we get that, that sense or, you know, characters say it throughout the movie where it's like, Arthur's really good. He's a really, really great lawyer. And so I think in the firm when he's on his game, he might be the best lawyer in the firm. And so yeah. like there is an incentive there to kind of look out for him and kind of, you know, make sure Arthur's doing all right. And that would fall to Michael. And yeah, I think you get the sense that like, it's obviously his job to look out for Arthur and to clean up the mess, but that he also does care about him. Yeah. I and think, I think if he didn't, he may not have flown to Milwaukee. Maybe he would have kind of just got somebody else to put Arthur on a plane, on a plane yeah. to send him back. Yeah. <laughs> like So yeah, I think I think there is enough there to sort of imply like Michael's a human. You know, he might sometimes go about his job robotically or whatever, but like, you know, he, he definitely cares about Arthur. But yeah, I think the 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 scene where it's the son and Arthur on the phone and Arthur is like, it's so fresh what has just happened. He's just had this public meltdown and here's this, and like, they're just having a nice conversation and like, you can see that like, that is the most important thing in the world at that moment for Arthur. And like, he needs to know the name of the book and he, you know, he yeah. wants to know what happens. And like, he's like, you're saying about the car ride with the son, like he's giving the son everything that George Clooney isn't giving the son. Yeah. And so you can see why the son is. Kind of engaged, engaged and wanting to exactly. talk and yeah, stuff. Like yeah, it's, it's a really good scene and just two people on a phone. Yeah. I did wonder at the start of the movie 
when we meet the the guy that did the hit and run yeah. or whatever. For a little bit, I did wonder if that would play more into the story, but it clearly was just the story to get him kind of out of New York City, I think. Well, but it is, like, but it, but it's also just to show you that like, again, like when the movie starts, we don't know this yet, but at that point, the Arthur problem had gone away. It was yeah. over. And he was immediately on to the next job. You know, another lawyer calls him up and says, I have this problem. Can yeah, you fix that's it? that's true. And he immediately, like, yep. And he drops, you know, we do meet him in a, in a illegal gambling den. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, again, we don't necessarily know that he has a problem, but anyone who goes to an illegal gambling den might have a problem. <laughs> so he could kind of figure that out. But yeah, like he's just immediately on to the next case. And the next case just happens to be this hit and run. And... That's why I like how the movie opens because it's sort of like we don't know anything that's happened before this. And then we find out what's happened before this is like friends of his were murdered. Yeah. But he's like on to the next job. And so that's why I think the ending is so interesting because I think he goes back the next day. I think like I think so too. He's just on to the next job. Yeah. And this is not a big deal. Yeah. Because like there's one scene where you actually get to see him in his office. And he is just on the phone yeah. the entire time being like, I'll set up a meeting next week. Oh, I'll call this friend to get you this. Like, just putting out fires. And stuff. And yeah. I was just like, this is just his life. I think he just lives in kind of perpetual chaos all the time. And I think like it goes to, there's that scene with Marty where, you know, he, I think at one point sort of is like, I've begged you to like put me back in the courtroom. Yes. Like I want to go back with, you know, regular clients yeah and just go back to the courtroom and do all this stuff and marty's like you were good at that like he's like you were definitely a good lawyer you are better at this yeah like this is what you should be doing and i think we see enough throughout this movie where it's like he's really good at this yeah everything else in his life might be a little chaotic but when he's on the job he is the best he's of the there. best he's yeah. the best so yeah i i, I think this is, a, this is a good movie to start <laughs> sort of the new year with yeah i was kind of thinking back i think we did momentum memento sorry yeah was memento was our first one yeah. last year and like that was a solid start to the year so hopefully we can kind of keep this going my one question for you because when the movie was happening he gets the red folder from the copy place or whatever that author has made two thousand copies of yeah. or whatever and he goes to his office he's then presented his eighty thousand dollar bonus and his new contract I could see him for a moment kind of grapple with the decision of if I show them this red folder, I blow up everything, but I've done the right thing. Or I don't show anybody and I keep the $80,000, solve my other problem that I have in my life, and I can move forward with that. Ask your, I, have, I have a note for that, but ask, okay. ask your question. <laughs> Which would you have done? Oh, I'm taking the 80 grand. Okay. Yeah, zero morals whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, if, if, if I, if I owned a loan shark, 75 grand because of my failed restaurant, it's gonna be hard to walk away from 80 grand. <laughs> it's gonna be really difficult to walk away from that, to be like, oh, I'm out. Like, okay. I'm fully out. I think that that's an optimistic view of if he had shown okay. the pamphlet that, you know, his boss would have done something because his boss has a line in that scene of like, you know, after 15 years, I shouldn't have to tell you how we pay rent. That's true. So I think maybe not everybody in the firm, but definitely Marty knew that this memo existed. Oh, and they okay. were just never, ever going to talk about it. They were never going to bring it up 
because they knew if they did do that, that it was going to cost you North way more money. And like you North were then going to be pissed at them as lawyers, all this sort of stuff. So I think they, I, I think we're, we're primed or we're, we're, you know, the movie sets us up to think of this memo as a bit of a smoking gun. Yeah. When really nobody cares. Okay. Nobody cares. And I think that that's why he takes the 80 grand because he realizes in that moment, like, oh, it doesn't, it actually doesn't matter. There, there, there is no choice or decision here because nobody cares. Okay. It, you know what I mean? Like it actually doesn't matter who I show this to. It's not going to change anything. So I might as well just take the 80 grand. And I think that's why he ends back or he ends up at the gambling yeah. uh, den because it's sort of like, fuck it. Like, you know. Well, I thought that was very clever. He asked for 80. He only needed 75. He only needed 75. <laughs> He's a smart boy. Smart boy. So he had all this extra money to go gamble with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just think I, I, I think it's like a really, really tight thriller. Yeah. And there's very little fat on this movie. Like there's, there's almost nothing to sort of pick at and be like, I actually don't like that. I don't like that. It's sort of like, there's very little wrong with this movie. I think for me, when I was looking it up and it said thriller action or thriller whatever, I was kind of like, oh, how's this? Because I had a different idea of a thriller. And I think sometimes for me, thriller means more like slasher and like like, so like scary yeah. or whatever, which this wasn't. So, te- so. like technically, <laughs> thriller should mean and does mean like starts with a body. Okay. So, you know there's a dead body there's a whatever that's how the movie starts and then we go on that's how technically a thriller is we've kind of gotten away from that oh, okay i think a thriller is something like this where just like the momentum of one event into the next into the next into the next and like kind of doesn't slow down and there's definitely like lives are on the line yeah like you know characters do die in this movie and you know I think that's kind of what a thriller is now. And so like, yeah, the action part, I think it's mostly because there's one explosion. Yeah, probably. That's that's pretty, like, this is not an action (laughs) movie. So anyone who's looking for action, this is not it. But, uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely sort of a modern thriller in sort of the lawyer world, the legal world. Yeah. So any, any last things for Michael Clayton? Anything else you want to say? No, just I'm glad I finally watched it. I, I didn't know I missed it, but glad I've seen it now, so... It is. So, like, the only other thing I'll say is that, like, this came out in 2007, obviously. 2007 is, like, one of the great years for movies. And that is maybe why this movie doesn't have a huge reputation. Because it just got overshadowed by It just got completely overshadowed. So, like, this is the year of No Country for Old Men. This is the year of There Will Be Blood. Like, there's a lot of really, really great sort of, like, modern masterpieces all in the same year. (laughs) And, like, I would happily put michael clayton up there with any of them but i think that's you know other people wouldn't <laughs> it's not that other people wouldn't it's just like i think a lot of people look at something like there will be blood and it's like that is a perfect movie or like no country for old men like that is a perfect movie i think people watch michael clayton and they're like that's a great movie yeah that might be the difference that okay. might be why you know 15 16 years later this is kind of got shuffled in you know into obscurity a little bit Whereas, Maybe we're taking it out of obscurity. That's what I would hope like. for. Like I, I, <laughs> I genuinely, I watched this again. So I watched it when it came out and definitely was like that one over my head. Okay. Like, you know, like I'm not sure I fully got that. Waited years and went back 
at the beginning of the pandemic and watched it again. And I was like, fuck, that rips. Like, that is <laughs> that is the type of movie that, like, I want to see a hundred times a year. And, like, we're just ne- we're not getting them anymore. And going back the other night, I was like, oh, I could, I could watch this yearly and probably be happy. And be happy? Yeah. Okay. Should we tease next week? I was just trying to figure out how I would tease it. <laughs> so it's... It's another first time watch for you, I imagine? It is not, actually. Did I make you watch this? You made me watch this as a kid. Okay. Because I remember, the only thing I remember about it is going into school the next day, being like, my favorite movie is this. Trying to be like, super cool. And everybody looked at me being like, what the hell movie is that? What movie is that? (laughs) What else? So like next week's movie at one point in my life was maybe the like most important movie in my life. Really? Yeah. Okay. This was like the most important filmmaker in my life. This was, in, in in some respects, this is probably where my whole love of movies actually started. Wow, okay. Like, it definitely started before that, and there were movies that I loved before this. But when I tracked down this movie and saw it for the first time and saw the other movie that is kind of a companion piece to this, that's when I was sort of like, oh, like, there is a world of movies that I've never heard of. And are kind of like a little underground and like not really mainstream okay. or that well known that like I kind of want to dive into. I kind of want to check out. And like then the ball is rolling. Yeah. So until next week, <laughs> we'll see everybody then. See you then.